Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. We've been talking about the mission of God, right? The Maseo Day, God's active plan in redeeming mankind. And this is something that I, I want us to grasp. I want us to understand as we continue on in these thoughts, even though we're going to take a, a pretty uh, dramatic shift today in our teaching. God's primary tool that he is using to accomplish his mission on the earth is you. I know that that seems like, God, you could pick a better tool right? <laughs> you could probably find something a little better than me, but his primary tool that he is using in the role of redeeming mankind back to him, and I'm not trying to say that we equate to Jesus or the Holy Spirit or something like that, but he is using his church, his bride, to fulfill his purposes on the earth in helping bring mankind back to God. And so that's why when we're talking about the mission of God, the Maseo Day, we're talking about the mission of Open Door Church being to awaken, to equip, and to send those work together in partnership. I want you to understand your role that God wants to use you in the overall mission of God. Does that make sense? guys tracking with me there? And so last week, Adam kind of uh, took us one step further and did this great exposition on the Great Commission. And I would encourage you guys, this little recap is uh, kind of a plug for our podcast, which maybe somebody right now is listening to this via podcast form. You get a gold star. But I want to encourage you guys, if you've missed weeks or if you have to be gone for, uh, for a reason, a lot of our teaching here at Open Door Church builds upon where we've been. And uh, I think it's just helpful. And I love all the awesome hard work that Adam puts into um, our podcast to make it listenable, and I uh, just want to encourage you guys to check it out. So some pastors begin their sermons with, you know, like a funny anecdote or a story or something like that, or maybe they, they have like a book of jokes that they kind of um, pull out or an engaging stories. Um, I guess the review is just my thing, right, the, the recap. I don't have like a book of stories to pull from. I'm my jokes are probably either inappropriate or not funny. Um, that's bad. I shouldn't say that from the pulpit. I don't have a bunch of inappropriate. I don't know why I said that. I don't have like a like a bunch of inappropriate jokes I just whip out in like casual conversation. Like, oh, oh, oh. it's like, did the pastor really say? I, I don't. Most of the time when I'm joking, it's probably an inappropriate time. Like a holy moment, like somebody's, anyway, Wow. I'm digging myself a hole. <laughs> At least you're saying like, amen, woo. Honesty here. <laughs> um, but speaking of jokes and funny stories, uh, a few years ago, uh, Adam and I, this was like the first time Adam lived here. I, were we single at the time? Because our wives weren't with us. When Robin Mark was here. You were married. Was I not married? I wasn't married. Adam was married because he's, he's always been that one step ahead of me in life with family and kids and 
stuff. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we went to go see Robin Mark. If you guys don't know who Robin Mark is, he's like this Irish worship leader guy. He wrote the, that song, These Are the Days of Elijah, right? Uh, he's a pretty good, pretty good musician, really awesome guy. But we went to, the, the funny thing about the story is we went to uh, Durango to this little Baptist church. I think it's first or second Baptist church. I don't know. It's the Stone Baptist Church in like downtown Durango. It's a really beautiful building and uh, he's leading worship and it's really good and uh, he's kind of the singer-songwriter guy, but he kept making these jokes that were just completely out of place about Baptists. And we're in a Baptist church and it was just kind of, a, it was kind of like, it wasn't necessarily mean, but he kept saying stuff like, I know this is a Baptist church, but you could get up and dance a little bit. And it was pretty like awkward, right? And uh, we're not Baptists in, in that sense, but we're like, this is kind of weird. And so this morning, I was thinking about like Googling, I need a good Baptist joke to move into my sermon uh, to introduce my topic this morning. And I paused and I remembered that encounter and I remembered that didn't go over so well for, you know, uh, Rob and Mark. I probably should practice some maturity and discernment here and not do that this morning. And so uh, this is me attempting to not, not do that this morning. And I have no idea. I don't know any like Baptist jokes. Uh, I have a lot of Baptist friends, uh, but I don't have that. I share all of this because I really did want to make some kind of joke to like lighten the mood and enter into what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about John the Baptist. And so it's, uh, it's kind of fun. Yeah, boo. <laughs> woo. You're like, wow, Pastor Nate, you just wasted the first five minutes of your sermon. I've checked out. What are you talking about? Um, we're going to not, it's not, I'm really excited because one of my favorite things to do is kind of these character studies that we've done in the past. We've done it with Peter. We've done it with Paul most recently. And uh, there's this character, John the Baptist in the Bible, that Many people, regardless of their upbringing in or outside of the church, are maybe somewhat familiar with this character, with this figure from the scriptures being John the Baptist. We know him as the cousin of Jesus. And for clarity's sake, if you don't know who John the Baptist is, uh, he's not like a Baptist, like I was just making a joke about, like, you know, the Baptist church or something like that. It's not a denominational thing here. It's not like we didn't have like John the Baptist and Peter the Charismatic and, you know, something like that. If we're honest, like John the Baptist was probably more charismatic than uh, most of our Baptist friends. I mean, he was pretty eccentric, like he was living in the wilderness, like eating honey. It's kind of weird. Just saying. Um, well, there I am. I said I wasn't going to make jokes and now I'm making silly jokes. Uh, but the reality is uh, John the Baptist is this pretty interesting figure that we're not going to do this exhaustive chronological study of his life today. Um, in fact, we're not even going to spend a lot of time talking about John the Baptist in particular today, but we are going to look at uh, his main message that he came preaching when he uh, kind of enters the scene. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3 today. It's not going to be a long message um, in fact, this is actually serving as the devotional aspect of our annual business meeting uh, that I would really encourage you guys to hang out for after service today. I know that doesn't sound like fun, but it is an important thing, and we have food, and God's going to do um, some cool stuff, and I'm excited about that. But 
Um, if you guys have uh, cell phones, how many of you guys have a cell phone? Steven. <laughs> if you guys don't know, Steven has, doesn't have a cell phone. I'm beginning to think that's a good idea. Uh, but uh, if you've been on any kind of social media, maybe, or if you've got friends, you may have heard something about the Asbury Revival of what God is doing on a college campus in Wilmore, Kentucky, and it's pretty cool. It's pretty exciting to hear these stories of what God's doing, these testimonies that are coming in, and that people are flocking to this community, and it's this student-led prayer gathering that just kind of hasn't stopped, and I, I know there's got to be a lot of logistics with that that they're trying to figure out with kids that are actually in college, that they're paying to go to college, and things are going on. It's, uh, it's just this kind of fascinating thing that's taking place, and it's not just being contained here, but God has started to move in different uh, college campuses throughout, uh, throughout the United States, and it's exciting, and it's something that is easy for me to be like, okay, well, I'm going to check out here. Let's go get a plane ticket. Let's see what God's doing over there, and uh, you know, I, I, by all means, I, I'm encouraged and excited about the reports that I've been hearing. Uh, but most of this has come by way of social media, of friends that I know maybe that have gone or have watched this. Um, but if I were to open Facebook or Twitter right now, enter your social media platform of choice, probably not MySpace. I don't think that that's still really a, a thing anymore. But <laughs> you'll come across uh, lists of uh, postings from either my colleagues or my peers or my friends or people that I don't know now that just like sponsor ads to show up in my feed. Um, and there'll be a mixture of people that are like, look at what God's doing, it's awesome. And then the next video is like, Asbury exposed the truth about what's happening in Kentucky. And uh, there's, this kind of, um, there's this kind of polarizing thing that's happening as God is moving in a generation of young people where there are people that are uh, really frustrated and said, you can't really call that revival. And it's just emotionalism, or it's just, uh, you know, a prolonged prayer meeting. We shouldn't call it revival. And all of a sudden, it's these people arguing about whether or not it's really revival. They'll be like, yeah, God's doing something, but don't put the stamp of revival on it. And you've got podcasters and YouTubers doing all kinds of different, like, crazy, like, expositions and giving their hot take about what is actually happening in this community in Kentucky. And I haven't wasted my time kind of listening to all of them or going through and figuring out what their complaints are or aren't, but my heart was just grieved. And I can't help but wonder if the same amount of energy that went into criticizing what God's doing with a generation of young people went into prayer and fasting and asking God to do it where they're at. Asking God to move genuinely. And guys, I'm all for discernment. Please hear me here. I'm not, I'm not here just, there, there have been things that have been classified as a move of God that clearly weren't and really did need discernment. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not just trying to say like, hey, let's just willy-nilly just say follow anything that's out there. But I, I can't help but wonder, um, a lot of these people that are arguing about trivial things, it's like, well, you just can't really say it's a revival. It's just a rehash of what God did 50 years ago or something like that. It's just an emotional experience. Um, my heart was just stirred. What if they responded to the Lord? in a way that uh, provoked him to move in their communities, in their places of worship. And I, I think this really, this really kind of fired me up as I was 
kind of reading these headlines and just really growing overwhelmed with what I was kind of seeing and these different people's responses to what God's doing in the Asbury revival, I came across one uh, comment in particular that was thanking God for his moving upon this generation, this generation that many have just kind of seen <laughs> disregard and said they're too far lost, they're too messed up, they're too far gone. Um, thanking God for his grace and moving. And he used this language um, talking about how the outlook for America isn't as bleak as they thought it was. And this hopeless mentality that, uh, that uh, America is just godless and lost was beginning to deteriorate. And rather than it being a post-Christian nation, uh, labeled it as just pre-revival. And that really just fired me up. And as I think about the post-Christianness of our nation, um, I really like to just rebrand things and relabel things. You know, I took membership at our church, and I didn't really like that name, so I was like, let's label it partnership. I like that a little bit better. You know, in our mission statement, I talk about, I don't really just want to call people that are lost, lost. Let's call them pre-believers, right? <laughs> and we're going to pray for them. And then uh, when I heard this, I was like, man, that just fits right up in my line of thinking. I don't want to think of America, I don't want to think of our culture as post-Christian any longer. I just want to think of it as pre-revival. And I was like... God, you can do that. That's pretty cool. But as I was digesting all of this and, you know, trying to approach things with, a, with an honest spirit, not with this mentality of, man, I really like what God's doing here. I wish that he would do it, or over there, I wish that he would do it here. And not just uh, seeing all of these thousands of students worshiping the Lord and just really excited about what that is and saying, well, God, that's awesome. Um, really just wanting to know, like, God, what is a genuine mark of your moving and your presence? And he would not let me go from this one central theme of repentance. And that's something that I so desire for us as we encounter the Lord. If Open Door Church is going to experience a, a genuine moving of the Holy Spirit, I so want it to be marked by repentance. Um, and so uh, I'm not too concerned on whether or not we meet some like YouTuber or podcaster's definition of, of if God is genuinely moving in our midst um, or if we're experiencing authentic revival. Um, I'm more concerned on whether or not we're meeting God's standards and expectations of what we're doing here. And I want you guys to know that. And it may not look like what's happening on a college campus in Kentucky, and it may not look like what's happening down the church, uh, at the church down the street, but I want you to know the genuine heart of a pastor here at this church is that I want every little thing that we do to be in accordance with what he's spoken in his word, with what his spirit is actively speaking, that we might glorify the son and fulfill his mission. Does that make sense? I believe that revival has always been God's people doing God's work God's way. And I tried to look up who said that quote first, and I could not find it. I had always thought it was Leonard Ravenhill, but I think he might have been quoting somebody else, and who knows? Uh, I didn't come up with that. But that is such the desire of us uh, here at Open Door Church. Um, but in my conversations with the Lord, 
the one thing that he kept highlighting when I was asking about a, a genuine move of the Holy Spirit, what we might call revival, was that it was going to be associated with repentance. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about. Because repentance was the primary message of John the Baptist. And so maybe now you can see how things are connected. Welcome to life with an ADHD pastor. Uh, <laughs> this is how we get from point A to point B. And I believe that repentance is a necessary indicator on whether or not God is actually moving. Does that make sense? Um, a recurring thing that I keep hearing about our church, and I'm so grateful for this, is that we're friendly, is that we're inviting, that we're loving, that we're kind. Um, and man, that's like as a pastor, high five. I want to put that church report card, those testimonials up on the website. Let's put billboards up and like advertise that because that's that's awesome for me. I'm encouraged to hear that. I know that that's not always been the case, but man, um, if people, if that's their first perception of us as a church, kudos. I, I'm giving, I'm like, I feel like um, maybe it's like if uh, Jesus was writing a letter in the book of Revelation to the churches, he'd be like, thumbs up, you guys are doing good in this area, right? And then uh, I, I'd be honest with you, I, I've got to be honest with you. Kindness does us no good if it's not the kindness of the Lord. And the kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. That's what Romans 2, 4 would tell us. He says, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Friends, there are plenty of nice, genuinely kind people that exist in this world that are on their way to hell. And it does us no good as a church just to be friendly and hold people's hands as they continue to live in sin and nothing changes in their lives. It is of utmost importance that the kindness that we practice and the, the fruit that we bear as a church and the, and the working of the Spirit produces repentance in our midst. It's not enough for us to just kind of be like, hey, yeah, we're friendly, we're welcoming, because we don't serve this come-as-you-are, stay-as-you-are kind of Jesus. We serve a Jesus that calls us to change. We serve this Jesus that calls us to die to ourselves, to repent of the way that we were living, and embrace the way of the cross. And that's not a popular message. Everybody wants to come as you are, Jesus. Nobody really wants to come as you are, die to yourself kind of Jesus. And I want to be honest with you, friends. It's necessary for us to highlight the importance of repentance. All the while, being kind and friendly and practicing the love of Jesus. Does that make sense? But we understand that it's his spirit and it's his loving kindness, it's his patience, it's his kindness that leads to repentance. And so this morning, guys, we're going to briefly look at Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be coming back to this text over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be doing water baptisms next week. And so uh, I know I said that last week. We had some changes in the schedule. Don't call me a liar and like pull out stones and like boo, not a false prophet here. Uh, we are going to be doing water baptisms this next week. And so 
uh, really, <coughs> excuse me, really excited for it. But in Matthew chapter 3, let's read the word of the Lord here. Beginning in verse 1, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Now guys, this might be interesting to you. I, I just want, I want you guys to know this about John the Baptist. I think this is interesting. Why it like mentions the clothing that he wore, the fact that he lived in the wilderness and that he ate uh, what he ate uh, is kind of, that's an interesting little tidbit of information. But the common garb for a prophet in ancient Israel would have been, uh, would have been a camel's hair garment and a leather belt. And they were often reclusive like this. And so what is happening here is the distinguishing of John as a prophet. And this is kind of cool because the, the previous prophet that God had ordained for Israel was uh, Micah. You guys remember that? Malachi. <laughs> right? Malachi. Malachi, not Micah. I'm confusing the M's and the H's. You, you know, you get how that works. <coughs> Excuse me. So it's been 400 years, right? Uh, that God has been with, Israel has been without a prophet, and then John shows up on the scene. Um, and uh, I just think it's really cool. So beginning and picking back up in verse 5. After I tinker drink of water. I would love to bore you with a really gross, disgusting story about why um, I'm coughing. <laughs> well, now I said that, now I've got to just tell you guys. I had uh, open sores on the back of my throat when I finally did make it into the doctor. And uh, if I get really excited and I start speaking loud, what happened was those sores burst. I've been on antibiotics, and so it's good. But I have these little flaps of skin in the back of my throat where if I get too excited, uh, I start choking on them and coughing. And so now everybody is completely grossed out. Nobody's. So. <laughs> Can we leave that out of the podcast? Um, Jesus. <laughs> Content warning. Yes. Thanks, guys. Back to the word of the Lord. In verse 5, Jerusalem, uh, then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for its clear, direct nature. Jesus' name. Friends, uh, if we're just doing a small introduction on the topic of repentance today, I want you to know that repentance is the entryway into the kingdom. That's what the message of John the Baptist was. He came preaching in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same message that Jesus would continue on with, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within reach. It's within your grasp. It is, as a, it is accessible. And that is what John the Baptist came preaching, that the kingdom of heaven, life that is right with God, is possible. But it happens by way of repentance. And what we see here is this message of repent because the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent for there is access to God. And I, I think so many times I think we, we kind of treat like maybe repentance is like maybe like fourth or fifth on the list of like what happens when we come to the Lord. And we want to make sure like, yeah, we accept him as Lord and accept him as Savior, but we have to understand this is a this is kind of an all-inclusive uh, act. When we embrace Jesus as Savior, when we embrace Jesus as Lord, we have to embrace the whole package. And then the very foundation of making Jesus Lord is this aspect of repentance. And so what exactly is repentance? The word for repentance is the Greek is like one of the three Greek words that I know really well is metanoia. And it's this idea, the actual definition would be uh, to radically change the way that you think. It's a, it's a renewing of your mind. It's a renewing, it's changing the way that you think because we understand our actions first begin as, begin as thoughts and inevitably uh, produce actions and those things. So repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry and I shouldn't have and I'll never do it again. Please forgive me, Lord. Repentance at its core is having a sorrow and a grief over your sin over what is wrong, but it's also this turning away from what is wrong, the things that you are sorry about, turning towards God and embracing what he has for you. It's what James would describe when he talks about faith without works being dead. We understand repentance actually produces genuine good works. In Acts 2, 36 through 41, we see Peter, he's preached this uh, really phenomenal message on the day of Pentecost, and uh, he's concluding his message here. He talks about Jesus being given uh, for their ransom and for their salvation. In, in verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, repent 
and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as our Lord our God would call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. What must we do? And the response is repent and be baptized. The baptism, friends, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this next week when we do baptisms, which I'm really excited for. But baptism is simply a demonstration of repentance. What we see John's baptism, a baptism in water, and this idea of baptism for remissions of, for remission of sins, uh, it is this signification of I am repenting and turning from the life that I once lived to now follow Jesus exclusively. And uh, there's more to it than that. We'll dig into it a little next week, but it's really fun and it's really awesome. But we see at the core, at the, at the beginning here, it's laid out repentance is the entryway. And so I don't know about you guys, um, but there is a popular passage of scripture that I feel like comes up at a, most prayer meetings and uh, it is uh, pretty great. And it's Acts chapter two, when we read here where Peter starts quoting the prophet Joel. And it's that, uh, he starts quoting actually Joel chapter two, where he says that I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, right? And your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And I don't really remember uh, who I'm stealing this from. I think it was Corey Russell. It might have been some other IHOP guy, but always talked about this Acts chapter 2 outpouring that we see on the day of Pentecost where God is moving in a powerful manner uh, was preceded by a Joel chapter 2 uh, repentance. And I want to encourage you, friends, as we seek God to move, as we desire things like what's happening uh, across the nation, as we genuinely want the presence of God to move, as we want to see Acts chapter 2 fulfilled where his spirit is poured out in abundance, where it's poured out upon all flesh that the sons and daughters might, uh, might experience the Holy Spirit, I believe there is a, a, a requirement or a prerequisite to that. And that is something that we find in Joel chapter 2. So if you guys would turn with me to Joel chapter 2. Because in the context of what Peter is quoting here, we begin in, in the book of Joel chapter 2 with the prophet uh, pronouncing the day of the Lord. And this promise of coming judgment upon his people. And uh, I, I want to be very clear, guys, if we look at the state of our culture, we look at the state of our, our nation, we look at our uh, society in general across the globe, we as, uh, as humankind are deserving of judgment. We live in a society where evil is classified as good and good is classified as evil. 
Things are backwards. Things are wrong. Things are broken. We look uh, at people that are literally in slavery around the world and being trafficked. And we look at drug cartels. We look at brokenness. We look at famines. We look at things that are wrong. And just the earth is deserving of judgment. And one day, God is going to come and set every wrong thing right. He's going to come in righteousness. And that is something that the prophet and scriptures would describe as the day of the Lord. And guess what? I I love this. I I know this one was Mike Pickle that would always say this. uh, Because it's often described as the great and terrible day of the Lord. Right? It's one of those things where it's great and terrible and somebody should probably inform the authors of scripture uh, or God aka or the Holy Spirit here, um, that things aren't great and terrible, right? <laughs> Either it's good or it's bad, right? How can it be great and how can it be terrible? Um, and the reality of it is, okay, that was, that was a joke. I don't think God was wrong. Some of you looked concerned like with glaze over your eyes. Um, but, uh, right, for something to be great and terrible, that's a, that's a confusing thing. But I've always liked the way that I heard Mike Bickle put it, that it's going to be really good for those that it's good for, and it's going to be really terrible for those that it's terrible for, right? Jesus is coming back. He is going to make every wrong thing right, and I want to make sure I'm on the right side of that equation. Does that make sense? Um, That's why we can say, come Lord Jesus soon, come Lord quickly, but there are going to be people that it is not a good thing for, It is going to be a day of judgment. It's going to be terrifying. But as a response to that, this is what Joel says in Joel chapter 2. In response to judgment, in verse 12, he says this, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart. I actually like the New King James, uh, the way that it phrases this. It says it's a call to repentance. It says, turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering. For the Lord your God, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babies, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room, let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. We see this call here for there to be a grief over sin. And that no one is spared from this experience. I, I, I love this. It says, call, blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast and call an assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, talking about those that are older, gather the children, 
and even the nursing babes, the bride and the bridegroom. Who cares if they've got things going on like a wedding or something like that? No one is spared, not even the priests who minister before the Lord, but it's called to let them come and intercede. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Turn to me with your whole heart. This is the desire of the Lord. And then it goes on and says, Then I will do this. And then in Joel chapter 2 verse 28, a, a few verses later after he talks about how he will bring blessing, in 2.28 it says, And then it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh that your daughters and sons shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and my manservant and my maidservant, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is a glorious promise. I believe the Lord really wants to highlight a theme of repentance over what he's doing here at Open Door Church. And over, frankly, just ministry in a whole. <laughs> yes, I want people to be saved. Yes, I want people to be delivered. Yes, I want people to be healed. It's all these different aspects of things that I believe it's in the Lord's heart to do. But I believe repentance is the entry point. And I believe that there needs to be a godly sorrow over sin. Because unless we're convinced that sin is actually a big deal, we're never going to do something different. Sin was a big enough deal for God to send his son to die a horrific death to deal with it. And I think a lot of the times we just try to kind of treat it as a, you know, like an inconvenience or it's just something that we kind of struggle with. But it's something that God wants to deal with. Sin breaks the heart of God. And it's not something that he intends for us to continually just sit there and, 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 and have this consistent uh, oh, Jesus help me. It's not enough for us to just passively go through the motions because I believe that there are things that take place that grieve God's heart. That if we want to see revival or awakening enter your catchphrase here, I believe it's going to begin with God's people being sober-minded with a weightiness and a heaviness of the things that break God's heart.
I have a lot more that I want to talk to you guys about and dig into in regards to this passage of scripture and on repentance. But I thought it would be fitting for us today. Simply acknowledge that things are not okay. There are things that are not okay within our community. And I think of the call for the priest to come and weep between the porch and the altar on behalf of the sins of the people. (laughs) I think of all the injustice and all the things that are wrong, and I want to want to simply repent today. Repent for my apathy. For the lack of urgency when it comes to the gospel going forth and seeing lives transformed. I think there's lots that Jesus wants to do. I believe it happens not just when we make room for him, but when we're intentional about coming to him with a broken heart. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.